Hey, good morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. You guys doing well? Uh, There's something about that last song that just moves my heart. I speak Jesus, all of truth, all of salvation, all of the gospel in one name, Jesus. And so it's just so good to be together and worship God today. Today, we continue in our brand new teaching series, kind of dovetailed to our last one, Disciple, called Surrender Solution. Surrender Solution. And so we're going to talk about that today. My son Judah is three and a half. Okay, many, many of you guys have seen him running, running, running around. And he's in this, this phase where he really loves wearing masks, uh, superhero masks. And he has a couple masks. One's of Batman and one is of the Ninja Turtle, a Ninja Turtle. And so he'll like, you know, run around the house and like kind of like just walk up like this and like kind of pose with his mask on and like just kind of like look at you like really intently. For whoever I was doing that to, I'm sorry. But, but I'll look at him back and I'm like, okay, buddy, that's really intense. Um, he's just so, he's so present. He's wholehearted. Uh, Rachel the other day said that they're at the park and um, she was texting me real time, giving the play-by-play of Judah wearing his mask at the park, this is Bee Cave City Park. And Rachel's telling me that he's running around with his mask on, giving, pe- giving other kids the look and saying, come follow me. <laughs> follow me. And so he's like running around. He's got this like group behind him. He's a natural born leader. Uh, it's so funny. And then Rachel's like, yeah, so the... He keeps on going up to the kids, and the kids that don't want to follow him, he's saying that they stink. <laughs> it's like, follow me. And they're like, no, I'm, you stink. And then you'd run off. Judah is, so for Judah, <laughs> surrender is uh, not a solution. Not in his toddler mind. He is all about control. He is all about control. You see how I tied that in together. <laughs> you know, there's, there's something in the human heart that loves control, right? If you were to ask yourself, uh, do I have mechanisms <laughs> of control? We'd all probably say yes. But does it really, this, these, this default to be kind of controlling, um, whether overtly or subvertly, or maybe leveraging power, is, does this actually bring about the life that we long for? Does this bring about the life, the best life, right? This is what we're going to kind of explore today. You know, there is a life, if you were to just self-examine, maybe you already know, there is a life that our soul, your soul, longs for, right? A life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of connection, a life of richness, a life fully alive. However, however, this, this life that we long for and ache for and fight for oftentimes seems really elusive. It's hard to really get our hands on it. It just seems like a dream. In light of the world that we live in, how many of you guys know that this has been a crazy decade so far, right? 2020, oh my goodness, all the way to 2022. It's been wild. You know, there are times when we just, it's good to just come and pause and realize that life gets hard, times get tough, and we get weary sometimes. Right? We just get weary sometimes. But this life that we desire is available. This is why we're here. Whether we know it or not, we know there's a life that we ache for. 
and it is available. However, it's only available, let me just tell you this, it's only available through what? Through relying on yourself, right? Through your own abilities, right? Your own willpower, working hard enough, your own determination, your own perfection, your own power, right? Controlling your world. (laughs) This is how we achieve the life that we long for with control, right? Is that right? Does that sound right to you? No, not at all. It's, the reality is the life that we long for is not achieved through power or control. It's received. It's not achieved, as Pastor Ross talked about last week. It's not achieved. It's received through that which is antithetical or opposite to control. It's surrender. And not just surrender, but surrender to the person of Jesus and making ourselves vulnerable before Jesus and surrendering, surrendering ourselves to him in faith. This, my friends, is what we're gonna discover is the solution. This is how we access the life that we long for. Surrender and vulnerability before Jesus. Pastor uh, Ross, our lead pastor of all of our family of churches, all of our campuses, began this teaching series last, last week, and it was awesome as he unveiled something that he's been treasuring in his heart for about 10 years now. And he's been walking with the Holy Spirit, allowing God to give him the blueprints for something that will help us navigate this wild world that we live in and help us walk into a lifestyle of disciple-making and spiritual formation. So he unveiled the surrender solution, the surrender cycle. You guys remember that from last week? I just want to let you know, we have been praying a lot about this, and we believe that God has anointed this tool to help us navigate. If I were to ask you, just how do you live out the the life of a disciple? It almost seems so broad or so nebulous that a lot of people just don't even do it. I have a friend here who just graduated from seminary. Caleb's here from, and he was like, yeah, there's a lot of theology. I learned a lot of things, but there wasn't a lot of like discipling. I didn't really get mentored. I didn't really grow. There wasn't a lot of spiritual formation. It was just like augmenting information. I was like, that sounds familiar. And so this is going to be, we're going to continue to unpack this and teach on this. This is what we've been pointing to in the Disciple series to this point. This is a little bit more of an articulated um, example. And then we're going to continue to teach on it in the series that we're presently in. So today, what we're going to focus on is on the top right is vulnerability. Everyone say vulnerability. 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 And so we're going to talk about this component uh, that is essential for the life of of a Jesus follower. So let's, uh, let's get into the teaching text today. It's going to be in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And today we're going to look at this story that kind of starts, or it seems like it's like the beginning of a very bad joke. Okay? Jesus, a Pharisee, and a prostitute walk into a party. <laughs> All right, that one didn't land. It's okay. Um, in, in, in contrast to that, why don't we actually stand up for the reading of God's word and let's read this together. Amen. Luke chapter seven, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
As she stood before him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. When she wiped them, then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him five, 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and, wet and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, for her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say, uh, say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's remain standing and just enter into a moment of prayer. Take a deep breath in. And out. Lord, we thank you for your word, for preserving it, for giving us these moments with the Messiah through your word, Lord, where we can see your response to sin. And we just thank you, Lord, that you come with a forgiving heart. You come with acceptance. You come speaking life and renewal over, over this woman in the, with the alabaster jar, and that includes us. And so we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you have your way and that you speak and that we can leave changed and, and receive this grace from Jesus in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Don't you love the word? Yes. It's just so good to just sometimes just read it. It's like, all right, we're good. Let's go home. It's so, so rich. Um, you know, I was at the, the coffee shop this week and um, hanging out with my, my boy, Luke. Um, and uh, it, was, it was great to, to spend time with him. And while I was there, how many of you guys know, by the way, prayer is not just praying to God, it's praying with God, right? Yeah. And so it's a dialogue. And so we pray to him and we also receive his words as well. And it comes through his, his Bible, through the scriptures, through others, and even just right into our own thoughts. Excuse me. And so... I felt like I heard a, a word of love or like a message from God for one of the baristas. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Like, I, I don't, that didn't seem self-generated. And so I'm just gonna maybe like think on that for a second and discern if it's from God. And then maybe I'll just give it to this, this, this dude. So I thought about it, felt confirmed. And, and so I went up to them and, you know, maybe if you're new to this stuff, like it's, it's 
I totally understand. I'm still learning about it myself, but God, he, he loves words. He created the world through words and he loves to speak to his children. And, but sometimes it's, it's cloaked in a lot of weird stuff and like kind of religiosity or just like hyper spirituality or something like that. So it's really good to embrace these things kind of like the, the supernatural in a natural way, right? Being naturally supernatural. So I went up there and I was just like, hey man, um, where are you from? Just like really like the coffee and just kind of chit chat. And then I was like, hey, I, I feel like, so I have a relationship with God and I feel like he loves you. And I feel like I have just like a, a I'm sensing something maybe from him. Can I share it with you? And, and they were talking to me, like there was two baristas and they were talking to me and they're really open and like really friendly until I mentioned God. And then it was just like, this proverbial like door was shut in my face. And it was just like, almost like, it was like derision. It was like, almost like mockery. It's like, get away from me. I can't believe you just brought up God. Like we're at a coffee shop. Like, don't you have any decency? Like get away from me, right? And I just felt like this spirit of rejection. And I've, and I've you know, gone up to strangers before and just say, hey, God loves you, or I have this impression and it might be wrong and it might be right. But I, and I, I'm normally pretty like, fine with like rejection. But this time I was like really hit for some reason. I was like, I felt like I was like, oh man. And I think I just felt judged by them. I felt like judged for my faith. I felt like judged for the identity as a Christian. And it was just like really kind of interesting. And I don't know about you, if you've ever experienced stuff like that or other things, maybe it's not like some kind of like overt ministry thing, but you're just trying to love somebody. And then they respond in the opposite spirit as you, and it's just like, whoa, I'm, I'm just a little bit disinclined to do that again. Like I was trying to love you and now you, you responded that way. I don't really know if I want to do that again. And so you can close off, right? Or you can maybe respond with like their same spirit and judge back, right? You can be defensive, right? There's all these things you can be proud. Like, how dare you reject me? And if I can be honest with you, I, I dealt with some of that stuff in that moment. I was like, how, like, you have no idea my intentions were good. This, I do believe this. And I was like almost trying like to justify my vulnerability in that moment in a certain way. And can you guys relate to that, right? That happens in life, you know? And, and here's another reality, I think that like when we are engaging um, those exchanges where we give something or we present ourselves in a certain way, what we love in a certain way, or we're having a good exchange, um, when we, when we experience the opposite of it, especially, um, I'm meant to love, I bring love, but I kind of felt hatred. When we, that, that hurts us and we can feel rejected. You know, it could be as small as feeling rejected at the coffee shop, like my situation, or it could be something way deeper than that, like being abandoned by a parent or just pain that you've caused to other people or sin that has been caused on you or all kinds of things and betrayal or things where we really get hurt, right? This, this happens and we can either respond to these things. Well, actually backing up, you know, if I were to ask you like, okay, tell me about, tell me about love. Tell me about like things in your life about love or tell me about your relationships. A lot of times the first thing that I'll get as pastors and as a pastor, and I think you probably will too, is like, I'll ask them about a relationship and relationships are normally really great, but what people talk about is actually like the heartbreak in relationships. Tell me about love. Tell me about like your family. It's like, these things are supposed to be really good, but a lot of times what we remember and carry with us the most is what hurts us the most, right? Yeah. It's like, I've, I've shared my faith with a bunch of people and a lot of them were like, 
were great exchanges. I don't really remember those as much as the rejections, right? And so you can probably transpose that onto a lot of life, a lot of life. And so whether, you know, when this happens, we can, where I'm going with this is when this happens, we can either respond to these points of disconnection or disappointment or heartbreak or sin with either good vulnerability or bad vulnerability, let's call it. Either healthy vulnerability or unhealthy vulnerability. And I'm gonna to continue to unpack that. You know, whether we realize it or not, we are vulnerable, right? We are vulnerable people. We can be super strong, super affluent, super good looking, whatever the case, super educated. It doesn't matter. We are vulnerable and using, I spent 10 years in Florida and I know firsthand that Florida is probably the most equipped for handling hurricanes, right? It's more, the most hurricane proof state because it's kind of used to it. So it's embattled and it's strong, but even the great state of Florida can't handle a hurricane like Ian. It's still vulnerable and we are the same way. And so we need to respond to this vulnerability, this reality of vulnerability, either with faith. Well, we need to respond with faith because we'll either respond with faith or with fear. And I want to unpack that a little bit. I want to show you um, a couple graphics that I made on Canva. I love Canva. Um, and it really just helps us visualize the difference between vulnerability that's fed by fear and vulnerability that's fed by Faith. All right. So check out the first one. This is fearful vulnerability. And so in some ways, I mean, this is something that we've been working on this week. And so I, I think there is, there is more to this that I think this, the well is really deep on this is what I'm trying to say. And so in some ways, this vulnerability that is responding with fear, this fearful vulnerability in, in, in a way is almost like anti-vulnerability. And what I mean by that, it's like, oh, I feel vulnerable. I don't want to feel vulnerable. So I'm going to respond this way. And so a lot of times it can manifest. It's, it's a fearful thing. And so it manifests with control. We talked about that. With rejection. It's not always sinister. I think sometimes like, just like Judah, it's like, I, I like being in control. It gives me more power. I like this idea. So it's not always sinister, but, it, but a lot of times, but sometimes it can be. And so this fearful vulnerability gives birth to control. It makes you feel rejected. You can get defensive. You know, you, have, you can end up developing an offendable heart. You, you end up isolating. It's like, oh, you, you want to like reject me like that? I'm going I'm to go away and if, I'm going to isolate. And then if you isolate, it's hard to be seen. And if you're unseen, it's hard to be known. And if you're unknown, it's hard to be loved. No wonder we're just dealing with a lot of mental health issues in our day. We're isolating, not being known, not being seen, not being seen, not being known, and therefore not being loved. So we're decaying on the inside out. And so we have hard-heartedness, disconnection, where we respond with pride, unforgiveness, shame. Often it's judgment. And we're gonna, we're gonna unpack that a little bit more and then even performance. And there's more. And if I had more time, I probably would have like kind of expanded the mind map of that. But I wanna contrast this fearful vulnerability with faithful vulnerability. And so let's check out this, this graph here. So this is vulnerability, true vulnerability. This is healthy vulnerability. This is vulnerability that we read about in the, with the woman with the alabaster jar. And so this is like surrender. And a lot of these are interchangeable, but surrender and vulnerability are like, are married together. But you get to be surrendered. You, you're led to give or to, you're, you're led to give love. It brings on awareness. 
Then in contrast to the other way, you're seen, known, and love. We're transformed, we're humble. Instead of proud, we have a sense of belonging. Forgiveness is birthed out of this kind of vulnerability. And then we worship, and when we worship, we become who we're actually called to be, and we find our ultimate delight and joy and freedom in Jesus, the way we were designed to be. So as you can see, there's a lot to this, and there's two roads, my friends. And so in this story that we just read in Luke 7, does that make sense, by the way? Is that registering? In Luke 7, we see, as I mentioned, this radical embodiment of faithful vulnerability with this woman with the alabaster jar in contrast to an almost like an anti-vulnerability that manifests in defensiveness and judgment and pride and self-righteousness and fear from the Pharisee. And so let's read this again, okay? We're, I'm gonna read this again and I might just give some commentary here, here and there. You guys with me? Yes. Awesome. Luke chapter 7, 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So quickly, a little bit of historical context that we can gather um, from the text is that this is probably early on in, um, in the ministry of Jesus. Not all of the gospels are chronological. And so we sometimes have to see what's the context of this. And so he's being invited to a Pharisee's house. That means it's probably before there was all the animosity between Jesus and his ministry and the, and the temple and the Pharisees. And so this is early on in the ministry. And along, along with that, is this customary practice that when you come into a Jewish household, especially a Pharisee, it come along with certain customs, like being kissed on the hand, being, your feet being washed, um, or at least have water provided to wash your feet. It gets nasty out there. And even have some, uh, being anointed with some kind of perfume or, or oil to put on your head to kind of counteract some of the smells and things like that. And it was just customary. Verse 30, 39, and as you can see, there's a, there's a, the author is making a point here because the woman, the sinful woman, has done all those things and, and Simon did not. 39, <clears throat> when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, make note of that, he said that to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. So he's just like objectifying her. He's, he's looking at her, he's just relegating her, like just really demeaning, right? And just, he's, he's, he's elevating and, she, and she's going down. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money, money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Um, neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt of both. Now, which of them uh, will, will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. I find this word judged really appropriate because he's been judging the whole time, but now he's finally judging correctly. Jesus said, um, then 44, then he turned towards the woman and said, 
And so let's just picture that. So he's having this, in, in, he's engaging with, with Simon. He's talking with Simon. He read his mind, by the way. So that's, we can do what Jesus did. We can get words of knowledge um, to love and to bring truth, side point. But then he's talking to Simon, but then he's like looking at the, the woman with the alabaster jar and he's looking, but he's talking to Simon. I find that really unique. It's like, do you see this woman? He's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? Which to me, in contrast to this idea of vulnerability, when we're vulnerable, we're able to be presented and seen. And seen, most importantly, by God. Instead of the shame where we hide. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet, my, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests had the other guests began to say, uh, say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Side note, this is high Christology. If you want to know like divinity of God, the author is saying Jesus can forgive sins. He is God, Yahweh. In 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith. What, what word does he use there? Your faith has saved you. Now go in, in peace. So we have this picture of faithful vulnerability and surrender. And this is, my friends, this is what I want. <laughs> it's so hard though, but this is what I want. And if we can engage this incrementally, we can start to step into the world that we truly long for. And so with that, I want to give us two warnings, okay? I want to give us two warnings from the text um, that kind of been put on my heart after reading it this week. And these are sort of warning signs to let you know that you may not be fully or at any degree operating in faithful vulnerability, vulnerability and faith, and therefore sabotaging your, your, yourself from the life that you desire and sabotaging the life of faith that Jesus is calling us into, okay? And so two warning signs um, and I want, I want us all, and I'm right there with you. Um, I'm, I'm journeying through this myself. I want us to ask ourselves, is this true of my life on any degree? Number one, you become angry at other people's sin more than your own. You become angry at other people's sin more than your own. So this, this Simon, this religious person, looks at this woman and he says, like, what kind, like, disdain. What kind of woman is this? She is a sinner. There is this scorn and this judgment, right? This pride in his heart. But if we're honest, like, just like Brene Brown, she uh, openly, famously said that when we judge people, it actually kind of feels good when we judge people. Because it, it, it feels good because it avoids us feeling inferior, which just doesn't feel good. It actually, we like feeling superior, and so we'll make other people relegate and become inferior. It puffs us up, and then we feel good about ourselves. And so it raises a hierarchy of, of being better than another person if we can judge them. And by the way, there's a difference between judging someone, someone's behavior and then judging someone as a person, right? There's a difference between judging behavior, which we're allowed to do, and judging 
a particular person. We're not called to judge people as people, right? It's not, that's not biblical. But I, I want us to not, I don't want you to under, misunderstand me. We are people of conviction. We are people of com, compassion and we are people of conviction. But let me just tell you and tell myself, if we are more concerned and more upset with the sin that we see in our neighbor than the sin that we see in the mirror, there is something wrong with our spiritual life. This is what we'll continue to unpack here. I don't know how you respond to that, but I am becoming utterly convinced. The Bible speaks that I am that person of sin. You are that person of sin. You have a log in your eye. I have a log in my eye. And so judging other people as people and judging like them and connecting them and their identity with their sin and with their weakness if, that, if we do that to make ourselves feel good, it's coming from a place of, of fearful vulnerability and judgment. And so, you know, something that I love about the cross is that Jesus on the cross, he shows us the power of humility and, and, and the power of its, of its impartation of confidence in us at the same time. It's amazing. How many of you guys know that the cross is the revelation of your sin, but it's also the revealing of your value? The cross, if we look at it in all of its, its atrocious reality, we see, oh man, the evil inside me is that bad. Oh my gosh, I can't. Jesus was tortured because of my sin. It's a revelation of how, it's like, we can't, oh, a sin, yeah, it's, I just, it's not that bad. Look at the cross, it is terribly bad, it is evil. But it's also at the same time, this is the profound truth of the gospel, at the same time, it's the revealing of your value. How important are you? God is willing to send his son to be tortured for you. This is the incredible paradox that we see in the cross. And so, this process of growing in humility, so this is like admitting our own sin and looking that stuff in the mirror and confidence, growing in confidence is a picture of growth in God, I think. It's, a, it's one of the ways we can measure growth in God. Are you humble? And then are you confident in God, but not based on your own abilities, but in God? This is spiritual formation. And let me put it another way, growth in Christ or spiritual formation parallels our increased sense of our own sin and our own weakness. This is a theology of weakness that the church doesn't seem to be talking about very much, but I believe that it's very biblical and it's the life arc that we'll see from the apostle Paul. And so this is a process, we need to know that this is a process that takes time. How many of you guys are in process? I'm in process. You know, like I I'm, I'm definitely need God's grace every single day. I'm so grateful for his grace. We are in process and it takes Time. This is the point of Jesus coming and taking our sin. But we see this reality and it's really beautifully um, kind of illustrated in the epistles of Paul. So in Galatians chapter two, verse six, this is written in 80, 40, 49, after about 14 years with Paul being a Christian. And he writes this about the other apostles. Okay, he says this, as for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. So here he almost appears to be proud and headstrong and maybe defensive. Um, and then six years later in AD 55, he writes to the church in Corinth and he writes in a lot more of a humble manner. And he says, 
I am the least of the apostles. And then five years later after that, in, in AD 60, in 25, this is 25 years after becoming a Christian, he proclaims, I am less than the least of all God's people. Wow. And then and lastly, we find this in 1 Timothy. I'm just moved by, God, by this picture of humility. Finally, so in, in, this is two years right before Paul's death, and this is perhaps him walking with Jesus for 30 years. And he starts to see, he, he sees things clearly. And he says this in 1 Timothy, I am the worst of all sinners. When I first read that, I, in the past, I thought, it, like, I always registered it as like, I was the worst of all sinners because he was killing and persecuting Christians. But the grammar is, doesn't lie. I am the worst of all sinners. There is some kind of sanctification process that Paul took place where he realized his, the own, his own evil and depravity and he was so humbled by it. But he was operating, if you read the rest of it, he was operating in this high level of conf, apostolic confidence. This is the picture that Paul presents and this is the picture of, of the story with the woman with the alabaster jar. They came to the same conclusion. They both came to the same conclusion. They are in radical need of Jesus. And so they had a radical response with humility and at the same time, deep confidence for this woman to come in the middle of this Pharisee's house. She wasn't invited and, and Messiah is there and she goes and does this. That takes, that takes courage. That takes confidence. That takes vulnerability. And so there's this picture of faithful vulnerability and sacrificial love. And so the invitation or the warning is to imitate Paul and this woman with the alabaster jar, not the, this religious um, and, and self-righteous and judgmental contrast being Simon the Pharisee. Amen? Amen? The second warning is this, and it's that your worship is casual. This is a sign that maybe you, be, you might be operating in fearful vulnerability. Your worship is casual. And let me just pastoral note on the, on the side. I didn't grow up um, in a super expressive context in church and being really expressive and stuff like that is actually really uncomfortable for me, or at least it was. And so I've been on a journey to allow myself to present my love physically. And, and lean in and worship. And this is not only for, um, for our, in the context of worship, like up here on stage or on a Sunday morning, this is also our life. And so if you feel that way, if you're like, yeah, I'm just, I didn't really grow up in that, I don't have that family of origin. I didn't grow up in that church tradition. That's okay. But my invitation and my challenge to you is to turn up the, the, not, the, the volume or whatever the thing is all the way up to red. Just allow yourself to be pushed because Jesus is worthy, yeah. right? Jesus is worthy. And so he's worthy of our expression. He's worthy of our gratitude. He's worthy of putting our love and our faith on display. He's worthy. He's worthy of all of our intellect and all of our unlocked emotions. And so this woman in the story is vulnerable, but it's with faith and humility She's teachable. She's sacrificial. Listen to this. She's, she's allowing herself to be emotional. She's engaging her soul. She's not neglecting or relegating her emotions. 
this inner territory of who she is. You know, the, the book, The Emotionally Healthy Church by uh, Pete Scazzaro says this, in neglecting, or, in neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget, the change, we forget that change comes through, through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. She allowed herself to be emotional. And she even allowed herself to, be, to kiss his feet. <laughs> Just think about that. You know, one of the words in uh, the Bible is proskuneo. And this is a worship word in the, in the scriptures that means to blow a kiss towards. Does our, does our worship look like that? Does my worship describe, is, can be described this way, right? How many of you guys know that the highest place in the kingdom of God is at the feet of Jesus? And so if we can go low to the feet of Jesus and express love, this proskuneo, in this moment, there is, that's where heaven is, is <laughs> launched. That's where heaven happens, <laughs> And so it's an invitation for us to be like this lady who goes low, who, who blesses the Lord, who anoints him. And to, you know, in contrast, she's kissing his feet and she's, she's bearing herself out like that. And what's Simon like? He's like, eh, <laughs> I don't, not really feeling it. This is a warning sign, I think, for us. Are you okay with that? Can I share that? Yes. It's a call higher. So if our, if our worship to Jesus is just a casual thing, if we are approaching things in life, like the Pharisee, it's a warning sign that we're probably operating out of an anti-vulnerability and pride. You know, uh, yesterday, I didn't get into um, a bump with my wife. I didn't um, get in an argument with her because pastors don't do that, right? <laughs> um, that had, pastors don't, they're not real people. They don't get into little bumps. And so Rachel and I had a bump yesterday and we both felt hurt. And every single marriage has this happen. And the real test is how do we respond? And, I, and if I can be honest, my response yesterday was pretty poor. I felt kind of like just locked in myself. I felt really um, just something was up and I couldn't get past it. Normally you just soften and you move on and you, you reconcile. It was hard for me, I just felt iced. And I needed some time alone. And I remember, and it was really like, Rachel was like pursuing reconciliation. I was like, I want to do it. I just can't feel it. And she, she gave me some time alone and I was sitting on the couch. And I remember getting up and just walking to the window and looking out. And I felt like, I felt like God was just like, he was like, bro, you're going to talk about this tomorrow. <laughs> like you should probably like figure this out. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I probably should. Um, and I remember just like, Lord, help me. I need your, I need your Holy Spirit. Like I need humility. I don't, I don't, I feel hurt. And so I want to respond with defensiveness and, and hard heartedness, but I want to respond with healthy vulnerability. I want to open up my heart. I want to forgive. I want to, I want to, I want to bless. And so he worked in my heart and I went and got Rachel and she was cleaning up the bedroom and packing for a retreat we're about to go on. And I just like hugged her and kissed her. And, and then I asked her to sit on the bed and I, and I massaged her feet. <laughs> and uh, I don't say that because, and I kind of, it was kind of like me trying to, it was me trying to live out 
what I'm trying to share with you today. Like, it's not just a bunch of information I'm trying to give to you. I want to live it. I want it to be authentic. And I'm so far away. Like, I'm just, I have so much to grow. We, and so we are together in this. And so I don't say, oh, like I reconciled and I rubbed her feet as like a picture of like the, you know, the woman um, washing Jesus's feet as if I'm really spiritual. It's more like I'm a sinner and I just need to do whatever I need to do to be vulnerable. This is the invitation when it comes to, vo- to worship. Our worship can be casual and it's not just like, oh, okay, we're just going to go crazy on a Sunday morning. It's also the way we respond to offenses. It's how we love our neighbor. It's the way we live. This is worship. We got to make sure that we don't present God and our worship to him and our service to him in a casual way. This worship is to be a picture of our love for God and our love for others. It's meant to be sacrificial as we accept the mercy and forgiveness of God and then extend it to others as well. Amen. If you could put uh, the pad on or keyboard or whatever, we're going to move to a close here. You know, it's been um, almost a year and a half um, since Rachel and I took on, uh, moved here and just took on the, the leadership and, the, and serving this community. And it's been incredible. It's really been incredible. I feel like it's dog years or something because it's just like we've been through so much um, and we're still in the beginning of so much. I feel like God has so much more work to do. But we've seen God sweep through this place. Like even just this morning, worship, there was something real. If you're new here, you're gonna, just, I pray that you leave. You're like, I don't understand all of that, but I just sensed God's loving presence at the very least. God has swept through this place time and time again. He loves to emanate in this place. He's so gracious with this place. It's not because of our performance. It's because of his grace and his love. Healing has happened. Hearts and emotions have been healed. Redemption, dreams recaptured and renewed. There's a renewal happening. Hope is pouring out every single day in the midst of the storms. God is a God of hope and he's proving it every single day. And he's speaking innocence over you guys. He's speaking renewal over you guys. He's speaking reconciliation. He's speaking humility. And so our invitation, the the invitation that God has for us is, will we respond with vulnerability? Will we respond with surrender? This is the invitation. And something that I've learned as I've been trying to serve and love this, this incredible community is that like leadership is not necessarily being the strong one. Instead, it's being the weak one who is made strong by God alone. <laughs> and this is an invitation for you as well. This is the way we are meant to operate. It's not like, okay, 85% me, and then God's gonna help me with the rest. No, we become weak and vulnerable, and then he empowers us. This is the picture of our leader, Jesus Christ. Emptied himself. Of, he relinquished all of his, the, the advantages of being God. And he allowed the Holy Spirit to be his leader and allowed the Holy Spirit to empower him. He only did what he saw the Father doing and saying. And then ultimately on the cross, we see him empty all of his control, all of his power and surrender in weakness and vulnerability. He laid naked on the cross. The most ultimate picture of vulnerability so that we can experience 
the life that we long for. And again, we are called to imitate him and be like him and take on our cross. And so to close, I just want us to take part in what Jesus asked us to do, which is to take communion and to remember him. And so we're gonna use the rest of our time here to have communion together. We have the elements on the corners of the stage and in the back as well. And I want us to fix our eyes on Jesus and remember him and to remember his vulnerability and allow him to be our leader. And to, like, I don't even know how to be vulnerable. I've just, I've never allowed myself to be that way. He's a good shepherd and he'll teach you with his own self and with the power of his Holy Spirit. And so we're gonna play some, some worship here. We're gonna play a worship song. And I want us at your own leading to come and grab the elements and partake of the flesh and blood of Jesus and to allow him to minister to you. And then we're also after that, we're gonna just continue in some worship. And perhaps you need to use today as an opportunity to respond with faith and vulnerability and use this as an altar and as before Jesus and come here and lay yourself before God and surrender and give him everything as he forgives you of all of your sin. Maybe you need to go and you need to, in this, this proskuneo, you need to blow a kiss to your father. Maybe you need to bow your heart and raise your hands, whatever the case may be. Let's step over casual worship and let's worship our King for he is worthy, amen. So I'm gonna pray and then we, let's feel free to get some elements. And, and so Lord, I thank you so much for communion. I thank you for this opportunity to remember you, to remember what you have done your faithful vulnerability, your ultimate picture of surrender. And then on the other side of it, it's, it's becoming more and more clear. There is new life, there is eternity, there is resurrection life, fullness. You came to bring life and life to the full. And so we just wanna follow you, God, and partake of your blood and of your, of your body. We love you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So feel free to come up and partake.